0: Hello, this is Patrick Risley, pastor at First Presbyterian Church, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This week's message is the second in a series on charting our course for 2019. Our working title is, What Do We Need for the Trip Ahead? Our scripture today is taken from Paul's second letter to Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. In this text, Paul reminds the Corinthians of their promises made a year ago to help with the relief of the Jewish Christians in Palestine suffering from a severe drought. Well, the time has come to make good on their offer to help, and Paul is sending an advance team to make sure the people of First Church Corinth are indeed ready for Paul and the other Macedonian church representatives as they come to make the collection. The story is a reminder for us as we plan our budget for the new ministry year in 2019 that ministry in and of itself just does not, quote unquote, happen on its own. No, careful planning and commitment in giving is what makes ministry possible. Planning is definitely needed. The Holy Spirit illumine your heart as you hear the word proclaimed from the Scriptures and from the message. God bless. Um, turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's right after 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament. Um, 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at, at verse, beginning chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now, I love reading Paul's letters because uh, he's a master with words and in expressing complex ideas in very simple direct ways Uh, Paul I am convinced the apostle would be a wonderful southerner and the reason is is because he would fully understand what it means when a southerner says bless your heart Paul would get that another southern idiom that people uh, he would understand would be um, oh honey God love you and it really, you know, the beauty of it is Paul would understand the nuances of those terms depending upon where you are and the circumstances. I mean, on one hand, I can come up and, and I can say, God bless you, and really mean it. Or I can come up to, 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 to Ryan and, God love you. But a southerner also knows that in certain instances and categories, I can come up and, and, and I can say, Fred... God bless you. (laughs) Or, you know, I, I can say, Fred, God love you. And it has a totally different meaning because Paul would know the nuances of saying that simple phrase in its context. One way can you mean it, the next way you can say it and it means you're just a dummy. God love you. Well, today is... Paul's God Love You to the Corinthian church. In our text today, Paul uh, is writing to a church that um, has responded to a challenge. At least it said it would. You see, in Palestine, uh, in Jerusalem, and surrounding areas, there was a severe drought. And what Paul wanted to do is to get all the churches that he planted up along the Syrian, what we call Turkish coast, all the way around Greece, over to where Corinth is. And he wanted to get all those churches he founded to give an offering to send back to the people in uh, Palestine because of the drought. They were in a bad way. And so, lo and behold... The first church, Corinth, which was a bustling seaport town, probably a larger group of people than most, um, they said, Paul, we love the idea. We love the idea. We are going to sign up for a gift to send back to Palestine to those who are suffering drought. They were all over it. They were so all over it that churches, smaller churches around the area began to get excited about First, pres- First Church Corinth's uh, enthusiasm. The church in Achaia. They said, yeah, we're going to do it. In fact, we're so excited, we already took the gift. And we're going to hold on to it until someone comes and picks it up. First Church Philippi. Yeah, we're in. Count us in. You know, First Church Corinth's going to do it. We're going to do it too. Well, chapters 8 and 9 in Second Corinthians is Paul's way of... Gently reminding the Corinthian church to actually do what they promised. Listen to the word of God. And as you hear the words today, I've added three words which aren't in the original language. But there are three words that will give you the feel of what Paul is trying to convey. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 through 5. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. God love you. Now it is not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints. For I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia. Saying that Achaia has already since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you, that is, 1st Corinth, 1st Church Corinth, may not prove to to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready to give in the gift, that is, that you had promised, we would be humiliated. To say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you. To arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you promised. Parenthetically almost over a year ago. So that it may be ready as a voluntary gift. But not as extortion. Bless their hearts. This is exactly what Paul was trying to get across. You dummies, you made a promise. Been over a year. Other people have stepped up. You haven't. So I'm sending an advance team in to make sure you're making good on your promise. Small church. Small first church, Philippi, they took seriously the call to step up. First church, Achaia, once they heard about what the Corinthians were going to do, they stepped up now Paul is writing the Corinthians to say, it's time, sisters and brothers of 1 Corinth. For crying out loud, you'd better not embarrass me when I come to pick up your gift and take it back to Jerusalem. Don't you go humiliating yourself. Plan for it. We're coming. The Corinthian church was Paul's challenging child. Some parents, if you have children, you know that some children are easy and some are challenges. They have very independent personalities. And that's not a bad thing. But the Corinthian church was Paul's challenging child. He clearly had to apply a lot of EGR to the Corinthian church. Now, for those of you who do not know what EGR is, EGR is when certain people or circumstances um, or events require you to ex- express extra grace required. Someone is, is, is just getting under your skin. You've got to give them extra grace required. Well, the Corinthian church was that such a church. It was needing extra grace. And Paul was trying to give that to them, saying, get ready. You made the promise. We're coming. Don't let yourselves down. Now, Paul and the other churches, we have to understand they were making a gift to the drought-stricken Palestine and their leaders were going to take the gift in one of two different ways. One way was to take a direct route from Corinth all the way across the ocean, 900 miles on an adventure across the ocean to Caesarea Philippi and then into Jerusalem. The other way they could have gone is an 1,800-mile trek over land down into the Holy Land covering and getting all the Gentile churches' offerings. Now, considering the amount of money that each of those churches would have been gathering, and remember, they didn't have paper bills, they didn't have checks to write. It was hard metal, gold, copper, bronze. It was heavy. So you can imagine whether they, the adventure was by sea or whether by trek, you're going to have a caravan To protect what goods you have, but also try not to draw attention to yourself with all the money you're carrying as Christian pilgrims. The group of Christian pilgrims in the first century carrying this gift would have been akin to a Wells Fargo stagecoach heading through ancient Rome, Greece, Persia, finally to Jerusalem. And Paul's letter was saying, we're about to start. Get ready. Last week, my friends, we began looking at what it means to set out on a voyage and an adventure together and chart a course in 2019. If you remember, the first thing we talked about was that before we take an adventure, we have to take, take an inventory and stock of what we as a church, already have. And by all accounts, this church has been blessed. And we're also to take stock of what we need to get rid of that will not work with us in this new journey, in this new charting of our course. And one of the things we looked at last week was having to do away with wish dreams. These old thoughts of nostalgia of the way things used to be or the way I want them to be. And then we decided we need to create a list of what we needed in order to launch this new course, to set out on this adventurous journey. Where we go as a church, how we are going to get there, determines what we need to do now before we launch If Paul and his companions, for example, were to take that 1,800 mile overland route, would he need the same supplies that he would need if he was taking a 900 mile boat trip? No. Different ways of getting to where you want to go require different resources. If he was doing the 1,800-mile trip around land, he would need to make sure they had plenty of leather, they had plenty of supplies to meet the varying climatic conditions that they would encounter. One day it's hot, next day it's cold. It's cold, they go over the mountains, it's really cold, then it gets a little less cold, then it gets a little warmer, then it gets hot again. They would need camels, they would need horses, they would need carts, they would need wagons of sorts. But would you need a camel... To take a boat trip 900 miles? No. Unless you like to have camels spit on you. That's what camels do. They love to spit. You ever been around a camel? That's what they love to do. And you're not going to take a spitting camel 900 miles on a boat if you don't have to. The journey dictates what you take as you begin your course. In our remaining time, beloved, I want us to identify where we're headed on our course. And then I want us to identify how we're going to get there. And I could spend several weeks doing this, so I'm going to try to give you a really zip. It's real tight. For those of you who are new like me, You, as members of this church, have lived through a decade of, what do I call it, stuff. Your road has been a challenging one. Last year, I asked Dr. Bull, who is the interim uh, preacher, whether or not I should come here to be your pastor. And he unhesitatingly said, Patrick, Absolutely. This is a church, a diamond in the rough, and if I was 30 years younger, I would take it myself. The Spirit was calling me to come. Dr. Bowl was calling me to come. The search committee was calling me to come. And I came, and it's the best decision I ever made. You want to know why? Because as a newcomer, I see a congregation that has weathered the holy hurricanes of the past. Like our friends up in the panhandle with everything washed and blown away from our dreams to people we used to know to structures to endless financial bases that we could draw from, we now stand before the ministry in Broward County and beyond a lighter, a leaner, a hungrier church wanting to get a kaleidoscope of ministry done in and around us, amen? Like an artist with a huge blank canvas. Beloved, we get to paint the ministry of first Pres any color way we want. First Prez now holds a brush in one hand and a palette of beautifully chosen colors to paint a ministry as we chart a new course any way we want. As your pastor, as your pastor, I look at the canvas before us and I celebrate how you, the members of this church, have held on to the Easter hope of Christ and kept your faith when others would have said he's dead. With tsunami-like waves crashing upon you over the last decade, you as a ship maintained your integrity. You never gave up hope. You learned to trust one another in the trenches. Everyone instinctively pitched in and helped in ways to guarantee this ship's stability. And God smiles upon you, First Presbyterian Church, and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And God also tells you, beloved, the weather is turning clear. It's getting time to lift up the anchors and chart a new course. Are you ready? The course I am proposing we chart is one whereby we change the pastoral leadership model of this church. Instead of having a senior pastor who is a functional CEO and the other pastors are quote-unquote under him, I am already beginning to implement a pastoral model whereby we work as a well-oiled team and we move and we dance in synchronistic rhythm together. I've begun to implement this with Nick. And now we have a search committee looking for another associate pastor to fit that role that Trisha Young, Tim Dobbins, and beloved Dick Anderson has filled for so many years. And it's a big hole to fill. So to the answer of, for those of you who have asked this week, why do we need a third pastor? I will tell you. It's because this church deserves the quality and care of a pastoral staff that is able to walk with you in challenging times. I went to see somebody in the hospital two weeks ago. And as I went to say hello at their side of their bed, they looked at me rather startled. Why'd they send you? You know they're looking for Dick Sweetface or you know Tim Dobbins or something. Am I am I dying or something? Why they why they send you? And I said, oh, Why not? Because I want to be here. I smiled and I simply said, Sister, it's a new day at church. From now on, all three of your pastors will be doing hospital visits. All three of your pastors will be, do, be doing weddings. All three of your pastors will be doing funerals. And all three of your pastors will be active in the life of this church from Cradle at Happy Land all the way to rehab in, in our rehab centers across the city. The whole idea of a third pastor beloved is so we can provide our church a form of leadership where there are no pastoral cliques, where we work as a team complementing each other's gifts, strengths, resources, and weaknesses. Novel, isn't it? We will each have our focus. I will be focused on leadership. Nick is going to be focused on spiritual formation. And we're going to unpack more and more what spiritual formation means means we're going to have a third pastor who's going to focus on congregational care but each of us will lead with our strengths and we will weave those together in ministry together with you I look at a canvas and I see how we need to match our giving and ministry dollars to what we value we value worship We value Christian education from cradle to grade and mission to those in our community and beyond. Does our giving reflect those values? The proposed budget calls for a slight increase in personnel, and I've caught some slack over that this last week. And a lot of you need to know, the reality is your staff, they took major cuts in pay last year. They haven't had raise increases in years. You had staff members of this church who forfeited their own salary to make sure other staff members' salaries could be paid. Yeah. I'm suggesting a modest increase. We're going to implement COLA, merit-based increases for staff this year. At least that's our proposal. They've earned it. They've worked hard. The staff has represented you well. And for those of you in business, understand it's cheaper to keep good staff than it is to bring in new people to replace them. Because the new person always costs more. And you lose that experience that you had before. There's also going to be a more intentional focus on missions. The missions team has been asked to reassess all the ministries we as a church are involved in. We're to see if they truly fit who we are today or do they fit a church that is a model of 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Do the missions that we get involved with Are we just writing a check or are we following up with sweat equity and getting involved in that which we are investing in? Flesh has to follow the finance. They go together. So your missions team is intentionally, strategically looking and assessing where are our mission dollars going and yes, we want to increase that even more each year to come. This is part of Nick's, Pastor Nick's spiritual formation process. This year, your leadership, the session or elders of this church came together one night in September and we prayed. And every one of us on session took a moment and did something that we have not done as church leadership for many, many years, and that is we all wrote down an estimate of giving for the year 2019. 2019. We all sat down and forecasted, okay, based on what God's blessing is for me and my family, this is what I think I'm going to be able to do next year. Because we as a session know that we need to be able to plan for ministry and not just hope for it. That's what responsible families do, amen? So we're asking you to be part of that. And bring that SM in a giving car back next Sunday to celebrate what God is doing and will do in 2019. But we want to be strategic. We want to give strategically, intentionally, and we need to know what we can expect from you as members. God wants us to plan. Brothers and sisters, it's going to take all of us to make it happen. And this is where we are now. And God wants us to get sailing again with full masts and scores of deckhands on deck and below deck scurrying to make sure the ship's direction is held true. Because next week, beloved, next week we weigh anchor. We weigh anchor together as we chart a course for 2019. And like Paul, I'm asking you, First Church, let's be prepared. Amen. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for the gifts this church has. We thank you for the generosity and the faithfulness of her members of years past. Lord, we thank You for the members and generosity and faithfulness of the members today. So be with us this week as we pray, as we contemplate what we will be able to do next year. Lord, may our blessings reflect the grace You have given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.